Welcome to Communicore Weekly. I'm George. And I'm Jeff. Hey, uh, but before we get too far into it, I just want to remind everyone that Communicore Weekly is sponsored by Alan Turing Plans. That's right. When we plan a trip through uh, computing and math land, we always use the Perpendicular Lines app. It's time for Disney History. Now, Jeff, you know... Four out of five Disney historians will agree that uh, Walt's love for steam trains was one of the motivating factors that actually led to Disneyland. Well, who's that fifth one that doesn't agree? Oh, we can't say his name. Remember oh. the legal dispute we got oh, into? Oh, that's right. Okay. Exactly. Well, you know, uh, trains were a huge part of his life growing up in the uh, the great Midwest. And it was one of his first jobs. He was a news butcher during his teen years. And when Walt first started thinking about a theme park, a steam train was always part of his plans. And as the dream progressed from a small park near the studio, at Dis- uh, Burbank Studio, to Disneyland, Walt continued to anchor his designs with the train. Now, if you're writing anything about Walt uh, it's in, in trains, it, it'd be hard not to mention the Carrollwood Pacific Ra- uh, Railroad. Yep. When, uh, when Walt moved his family to the Homely Hills neighborhood in 1949, he realized he had a lot of land in the backyard to create his own railroad. So, with the help of uh, Roger Brogy, who was also known as the first Imagineer, Walt constructed uh, over 2,600 feet of track and a 1-8 scale engine with several cars. He called it the Lily Bell in honor of his wife Lillian, which was pretty nice of him, I think. I think so. I hope she got to ride for free. Yeah, I would hope. I mean, if she paid for it. she charged, yeah, otherwise. Mm -hmm. Um, But after a derailment and there was an injury to a young person, uh, Walt had Roger store the engine back at the studio, and the Carrollwood Pacific uh, stopped running in 1953. And while the initial plans for Disney World began to take shape after Walt's passing, his older brother Roy wanted to remain true to his brother's dreams as the organization as they could. As Walt has been off-quoted, he never wanted to do sequels. So there's always a lot of discussion as to what kind of theme park would have actually developed if Walt had lived a few years longer. In the master plans for Walt Disney World, there's always been a theme park in the northern part near Bay Lake. And at the Destination D 40 Years of Adventure event at Walt Disney World in May of 2011, Tony Baxter commented on some of the attractions that never were. And with uh, archivist Stephen Vagnini, Tony shared some concept artwork from the late 60s that showed a Magic Kingdom with a few different attractions. And uh, when the ideas were presented to Roy, he uh, sort of impressed upon the Imagineers that he wanted to honor his brother's ideas that were obviously so successful at Disneyland. Now, the name Roger Roger Brogy is synonymous with railroads at Disney. Um, When the Vacation Kingdom of the World was uh, beginning to take shape, Roger found himself in charge of designing pretty much the transportation systems that were going there, uh, a similar job that he had at Disneyland. Now, he spent some time in Florida, and he found that the Florida property could rise up to 2%, which would require a stronger engine than the ones that were used at Disneyland. Roger wanted to take a trip to Mexico to look at some old Baldwins, and he invited Al uh, Vilmer, I think his name was, the railroad builder for Disneyland, to come with him. Now, one of Roger's regrets about this trip that he was not able to bring the landscaper, uh, Tony 
can't say his last name. <laughs> Sepulveda? Sepulveda? Sure, we'll go with that. Sure, we'll try that one. He was bilingual, and obviously <laughs> I am not. <laughs> but Rogan and Vilmer, they, went, they landed in Yucatan on May 6, 1969, and the Mexican government was selling their steam engines since they were converting to diesel engines at the time. Yeah, and the first two engines that Brogy and Vilmer picked out were numbers 274 and 275. And I've got to look at my notes for these numbers. And the, event, the, the engines, not the Avengers, the engines would eventually become the Walter E. Disney and the Roger E. Brogy. Both engines were uh, R440s and were made by the Baldwin Locomotive Works. And they originally were shipped to the Yucatan in May 1925. Now, the railroad engines are classified by their wheel arrangement. Yep. So, the white notation system is the standard used in the United States and counts the number of leading wheels, and the number of drive wheels, and the number of trailing wheels. So, for example, the Walter E. Disney is a 460 and is also known as a 10-wheeler. Exactly. And now we know more about trains than we ever needed to know. Exactly. Exactly. Well, engine number 260, which is another one they found, was a mogul type, which I don't know if that means he was like a recording or I'm not sure what that means. Probably very wealthy and was manufactured in 1928 by Baldwin. It was a 260 for the wheels and it would actually be called the Lily Bell. The fourth engine was a 440 and was built in 1916. It would take guests on the Grand Circle Tour as the Roy O. Disney. And they found a fifth engine, uh, but it would never be added to the Magic Kingdom fleet. It was built by Pittsburgh Locomotives in 1902. Each of the uh, four engines cost $8,000 each, and the Mexican government sold the fifth one for $750 if Brogy and Vilmer paid to have it moved. And when they moved the engine, it was damaged considerably, which obviously must have led to it not being used. Brogy mentions that the Mexican government threw in brass bells, whistles, light housings, and other fittings for free. Uh, and they had run into a large pile of cast-offs and took as much as they could. Now, to ship the engines to the Tampa Bay shipyard across the Gulf of Mexico through the Mississippi barges, it turned out to be pretty expensive, even though the trip was only about 700 miles. So, Roger, Roger found out that it cost three times as much to ship over the water as opposed to a rail journey of uh, 2,000 miles. So, they had two shotgun-armed guards who rode with the train until it reached the border. When the engines finally reached their destination at the Tepper, uh, Ship Repair and Dry Dock Company, they were put under the care of Roger Britton, a machinist who would eventually become the uh, roundhouse foreman at Walt Disney World. And Bob, it's Bob Harper, right? Yep, Yeah, Harper. Bob Harper, who, who uh, was who known Disney in California through the model railroading. He was hired as the project engineer, and he found himself working for the transportation superintendent, uh, Earl Vilmer. And the Imagineers designed the 20 excursion cars after the Retlaw 1, which is Walter backwards. Pretty smart. Ooh, uh, snazzy. Would have guessed it. Yeah. And they were the original passenger car. Uh, it was the original passenger car at Disneyland. Uh, the cars were built from scratch at the Tampa shipyard and were designed to load much quicker and easier than the Disneyland counterparts. The excursion cars resemble the Narragansett. <laughs> Try that one real yeah, that's fast. That's a big word. Yeah. Narragansett-style coaches from Disneyland. They're 40 feet long with 15 benches and can carry 75 passengers. Now, the steam trains were the very first attraction that were completed for the Magic Kingdom. The Lily Bell was the first engine completed and delivered to the park. So Walter E. Disney, the Lily Bell, and the Roger E. Brogy were all in service on October 1st, 1971 when the park opened. The Roy O. Disney started on December 1st, 19, 1971, and the Ward Campbell began service on March 1st, 1997. 
He's a nerd, he's a, nerd. He's a geek, he's a geek. But we all like to hear him speak. So listen up to the words from his beat. It's George's book of the week. A new book has just been released. Well, it's been in the parks for a while, but it's just been released on Amazon and other second handbook sellers. It's The Poster Art of Disney Parks by Vanessa Hunt and Danny Handke, which I hope I'm saying his name right. And this is a large-scale 11 by 14 book that has had the internet completely abuzz since it was announced probably about four or five months ago. Everybody's been raving about it and talking about it. Don't know if it's going to be fantastic or not. And uh, I got my copy last week and blew through it really quickly. And all I can say is the book is fantastic and Disney did a great job with it. Any initial thoughts, Jeff? Uh, First, when I got it, in the mail, I didn't want to touch it. I wanted to put gloves on first <laughs> because it just looks gorgeous. I mean, it's, it, it collects all your favorite posters from mm-hmm. all your favorite Disney parks, and a lot of them are like full page spreads. Um, yep. The color is gorgeous. I mean, I was absolutely blown away by how how much work went into making this book, and it look it looks fantastic. It looks great. Yes, it does. I was I was really surprised because I didn't know what to expect. You know, Disney's pretty, it's been hit or miss with some of their books lately. And uh, this one is beautiful. It's phenomenal. Uh, they've divided it up. The very first chapter sort of talks about the posters, how they came about, some of the original artists that worked on them that influenced them with their design and their style. And then each, and the production process. The, the posters used to be screen printed, almost like a silk screen. And each color was a separate layer and had to be plotted out and planned and printed in a specific order. Like, they would do one color, then run it through with another color. So this could take literally hundreds of hours to design these and create these. And each poster could cost up to $40,000, $42,000 a piece. So, uh, I mean, these, these are amazing pieces of artwork. Uh, after that, it's got, um, there's nine chapters total. And so after the first one, you do have uh, eight chapters that cover all the Magic Kingdom-style lands. And then you have one chapter devoted to Tokyo Disney Sea and Disney California Adventure. Yeah, and it, it was cool to see uh, some of those posters because we don't see those, obviously, those posters a lot because we don't go to those parks a lot because we're on the East Coast as opposed to the yeah, West Coast. We don't, and, need to, we don't need to tell them that. Well, I mean, yeah, that's true. I mean, we're jet setters. We're all, and we got we're, time we're travel. Remember from the previous episode, we do the time travel? I, I've been to Disneyland Mars, so... That's that's perfect. Eat that that's guys. Perfect. Those posters are awesome. Um, but yeah, a lot of my favorite posters are in this book. Of course, obviously, my favorite was the full spray, page spread of uh, the Flying Saucers poster yep. with with a yep. little blurb from Rolly about uh, the creation of it, which was pretty cool too. But like you were saying before about the screening silk screening process, um, I like how they broke it up on that one page for the uh, the monorail poster for Walt Disney yes. World, and you can see how the colors went in, like, which one was first, which one was second, which one was third, and how it just came along. And it was, it was an amazing process to me, and it that that just blew my mind. Yeah, it's... It, what was what was one of the great peop, uh, great parts of the book was they actually acknowledged all the artists that they could find, which is fantastic. Anybody who researches any artwork associated with the Disney company, you pretty much know anything before the 1950s. It's gonna, you're going to be hard-pressed to figure out who did it unless you've studied the art. And even in the 60s and 70s, a lot of the theme park art wasn't done. But to see these posters, uh, full page, half page, see the concept art, to see Sam McKim, how he came up with, you know, five designs for the Jungle Cruise poster. And, you know, how silly they were to try to catch that feeling, that emotion. Uh, it, it was just such a great book. And, you know, I have to throw out a comment that 
you know, Jeff and I are hardcore Disney nerds and our significant others love it, but not like we do. My wife sat down and looked through the book and thought it was one of the most impressive things she's ever seen come out of Disney. So that, that tells you this book's for everybody. Yes, absolutely. Uh, on the other hand, my, my fiance uh, wanted to take it home with her. And I said, no way. It's now, my you, didn't book. Get, you didn't get her own copy? No, 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 no. She can get no? her own copy. This one's for me. Oh, okay. okay. This one's okay. mine. Well, actually, maybe we should buy two. One, one we can like actually look through, but the other one we have to like maybe cut pages out and put it on the uh, on the wall because that's how good a lot of these look. Yeah, they're um, absolutely absolutely fantastic. And but, I was surprised. And I think a lot of people are gonna like it. But do you want to talk a little bit about uh, some of the issues that have happened with the book recently? Uh, the yeah, publication. As far as we know, there's been some people that have been getting copies that were not cut properly from the I guess the publishing house you can still the printing see process, the, yeah, yeah. the printing process you can still see wh- where the you know design lines are on the side and uh, thankfully I did not get one of those copies which is a plus mm-hmm. um, but I know a lot of people did and, the, and they're trying to return it and they can't yet so I know the book went into another printing um, hopefully those issues get resolved soon so if you did get one of those copies um, hopefully you can get it replaced and if you did yeah. not get a copy yet from Amazon I don't think it's available again yet. I think it was yeah. taken I think down under holding review. It. Yeah. yeah, they're holding. But if you're when in I, the theme park, go get it. Yes, go get one, especially if it looks nice. Uh, you will pay more in the theme park unless you've got like an AP discount or a DVC discount. Um, I did speak with Disney Publishing Worldwide, um, and they said that they were already into the second printing, and they were not expecting it at all. So they are just as thrilled. And this bodes well for the future of some fantastic Disney books about theme parks, basically. So go out and buy it. Here's another minute that you can't get back. It's the 60 Second Review. Well, we get a lot of comments on Facebook and through emails. And uh, not that you don't like what Jeff and I have to say about Disney, but we get a lot of great comments about the music. And the music is done by Andrew Taylor, my brother, and Steve Willard, and they are part of a larger project that we wanted to tell you guys about. Not really Disney-connected, but it's very Communicore Weekly-connected, and if that's important to us, it's got to be important to you, right? I hope so. Jeez. I hope so. <laughs> well, well um, Steve is involved in a band called Big Bang Boom. Awesome. Say it, Big Bang Boom. Big Bang Boom. With uh, two other members, Chuck Folds and Eddie Walker, and they play all around North Carolina, and they just put together their first CD. And what's important is my brother Andrew did help them produce it, so it moves on a little bit. And Steve, you've had it. Uh, Steve, this is Jeff. Whoa. Sorry. Hello. Jeff, hey, got excited there. Sure, I'll, I'll pretend to be Steve. You'll pretend to be Steve? Purposes. Okay. Sure, go ahead. Right. Ask me just questions about the CD. a little more Southern. Okay. Because he talks kind of Southern. So. I'll see what I can do. Well, <laughs> well, Jeff, what did you think about the CD? Because I know you've heard it. Uh, I think the CD is fantastic. Obviously, I love the music from Kumitakura Weekly. So, yes. it, you know, there's a lot of similar vibes to it. Um, they do a really good job at, at different musical styles and pretty much all their songs. And the best thing about it is that the CD, while meant for kids... It's yes. also with seed. It's kind of like Finis and Ferb in a way, where it's meant for kids, but the adults can enjoy it at the same time. So yes. I find myself singing along to the words in the car because <laughs> they're they're catchy songs. They're good stuff. I mean, these guys are talented, and I really think that other people should be listening to them as well. Not just the Community Weekly songs, but the Big Bang Boom songs because exactly. it's awesome. 
Yeah, and a little background. The, um, all three of the guys have been involved in the, the North Carolina music scene for about 20 years. And, you know, Jeff mentioned it sort of started off as a project for kids, but they've done such a great job of putting a really great, almost alternative rock sound to it that uh, the adults have just as much as fun listening to the music as well. Because the music is very, very um, grown up. And just the the lyrics might be a little silly, but that's okay. That's okay. Uh, we've got a little snippet of their first official video for the song "Make Me," and uh, Jeff, roll it. Sometimes I leave the room with the light on. Sometimes I leave my clothes on the floor. Sometimes I don't watch where I'm going. So, as you can okay. see, these guys are, are pretty talented. They're they're fantastic. I love the song. I love the video. Um, yep. And you should check them out at uh, facebook.com slash bigbangboomband. Um, and you can get links to their website to how to buy the CD there. You can hear some more samples from it. Um, it's great. You guys should really check it out. Yes, and you need to listen to it and buy the CD before the Communicore Weekly Live show because Steve and Andrew are going to be there. And I've heard a small rumor that they might cry if people don't buy the CD and don't tell them how awesome they are. Yeah, yeah. We have to feed their ego sometimes, too. So Sometimes. So they work for free, right? Yeah. Oh, we're not supposed to tell them that. I mean, no. I mean, yes. Hmm, maybe we should go to the next segment. Okay. Sometimes you might see it, sometimes you don't. Hey, look, what's that? It's a five-legged goat. So as you cross the recreation of the Pont des Arts bridge between the UK and the French pavilions, there's a small detail that relates directly to the actual bridge from Paris. Yeah, the uh, Le Pont des Arts is a historic bridge on the Seine River. It was rebuilt in the 1980s after having stood for almost 200 years. And besides being a tourist destination, it's often used for picnics, uh, it's used by the artists due to its location and point of view, and for art displays. Now, as you cross the channel from the UK to France, you will notice a tableau on your right. The portrait left by an artist frames the, uh, the view of the World Traveler Shop at the International Gateway. They almost got you. I put a bunch of foreign words in there this time. Almost. Not quite, though. Almost. I tried. Well, anyways, thanks so much for watching us. Yeah, be sure to uh, leave us a comment here on YouTube or uh, rate us on iTunes if you're listening to the podcast version. Yes, because we love that. We love that so much. And and please email us at communicorweekly at gmail.com. Just tell us anything you want to, what the weather's like, what's the latest book you've read, what's your favorite song. Well, recommendations for other subjects to cover. Oh, that's true. Mm -hmm. That's true. Uh, you can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash communicorweekly because we're always posting uh, fun stuff there during the week. Yep, yep. Lots of pictures and some comments. And speaking of comments, a great way to get in touch with us is by talking to us and following us on Twitter. I am at Imagine Erding, and he's at Jeff Heimbuck. And um, we do kind of, we mentioned uh, before, we let the snark flow a little bit more on Twitter, which is fun. Yes, we do. 
Yes, we do. We do. Well, I'm George. And I'm Jeff. And we're from Mice Chat. Thanks so much for watching. We'll see you next time on Communicore Weekly. Bumblebee.